Welcome to the Circuit New Artist Showcase, a feature where we welcome an artist to Circuit's online collection and ask them to offer a brief introduction to their films. Today we're talking to M.D. Brown. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you, Mark. Excellent. Well, welcome to Circuit. This is just a very brief introduction to your work, but tell us about these films. When and where did you make them? Uh, These films were uh, made roughly 20 years ago. They were all made in Wellington. It's kind of a period around uh, six or seven years after I had come out of film school at Hylam School of Fine Arts at Canterbury University. I'd been doing various um, kinds of work along with creative projects in that six or seven years. And I uh, developed these films around that time just out of some ideas that I was having. And uh, one thing led to another. And um, I ended up making three. <laughs> so all of them are narrated by a lone male voice. Um, how would you describe this person? Where are they? Who's talking? Is it the same person in all three films? No, they're three uh, different characters. The films use, as you say, voiceover as kind of a central device, and all of them can be conceived as inner monologues, a kind of stream of consciousness of three rather different characters, but all going through some kind of dramatic crisis occasioned by memory. This kind of idea was something I'd been interested in back in my um, student days, uh, the use of voiceover in film as a kind of formal interest, as a formal device. I used it in several films. But around that time, 98, 99, I had been stimulated by reading the works of several classic um, modernist writers James Joyce, Samuel Beckett, Marcel Proust, all of whom in one way or another use this device of stream of consciousness in their writing. And this encouraged me to think about, well, how how could you, this is very compelling work, uh, how could I translate this into the medium of film? Okay, you can have a voice talking, how do you then juxtapose that with images and make it work? in a dramatic sense or in a filmic sense as well. So really the, um, the genesis of these films was in that, that challenge. As I progressed from one film to the next, the subject matter became more, I think, identifiably of New Zealand. The character situations and the events that were being remembered by the characters were things that I sort of increasingly drew from my own experiences in life coupled with uh, a degree of imagination. And that really led on to an interest too in the sort of vernacular grain of the cadences of the the script and the accents used. Uh, So that by, I think, the third film, it it, it was really kind of working as as a sort of a package. It's interesting. There is a lone voice, but you talk about the New Zealand vernacular, and there does seem in here an idea about a sort of old New Zealand idea of mateship. So how did you see this film relating to a broader New Zealand culture? These films, I should say, plural. That's a good question. The connections to New Zealand culture in the sense of the New Zealand artistic tradition, they definitely, I, I think we're trying to reference some of the um, New Zealand modernist writers as well, who also used kind of stream of consciousness in their writing. And I would think of people like Frank Sargison in the 1930s who used 
monologue as a kind of um, yarn, a yarning kind of tradition uh, in, in a comic kind of mode. Later writers also dabbled in this a bit. I mean, I think of Morris Duggan did a um, fantastic short novella called, I think, Riley's Handbook, which um, was also quite Beckett-influenced. As far as what sort of underlies that, like why, why is there a propensity for this kind of thing, I suppose one could make the connection. I don't know how much I did at the time with a sort of a man-alone literary tradition, um, which, have, which has also come through in uh, our cinema to some extent. Um, but that's a sort of a retrospective analysis. I mean, there, at the time, I don't think I was, I was necessarily trying to, um, you know, build that layer into things. There is an undercurrent of violence in these films, particularly the last two. Can you pinpoint exactly where that comes from? I think a combination of things. I mean, I think uh, a violent situation or a situation which involves some stakes which turn violent are inherently dramatic and compelling. Yeah, so I, prob I probably was kind of interested in some sort of degree of suspense and excitement or tension within these stories because really dealing with a, um, a stream of consciousness device, there isn't really uh, any character interaction to drive the dramatic tension that you would ordinarily have. They're quite reflective works, or rather it's a quite a reflective process of, of uh, remembering that these uh, characters are going through. As the memories kind of bring out emotions sort of involuntarily, dealing with uh, some kind of action <laughs> in the form of violence is actually just a simple way really to get that across. I should um, do a bit of disclosure here and say that I was actually acting in that first movie. I wanted to ask you about how the relationship with actors changed over the course of the three films. As far as the acting is concerned in all, all the films, there was quite a similar approach to recording the material. So the voiceover was done by yourself, in the case of the first film, James Inslee in the second, and Stephen Bain in the third, all of whom are really were the principal dramatic persona of those films. They had the most to do, you know, learn a script, perform something where really the whole dimension of images was something that they had to kind of take into account, but they couldn't actually have in front of them. They had nobody else to react to. So quite a um, difficult challenge. And it did involve a fair bit of rehearsal to, to get that right and to sort of come to a sort of an understanding about what the dramatic motivations were as it went on. So all three performances, I think, are really commendable. As far as the secondary characters are concerned, the ones that are recorded through images only, um, these generally were, um, some were actors or some were trained actors, others were just friends uh, and acquaintances. I was kind of interested in the idea of using untrained actors or just amateur actors um, for this because really they didn't, they didn't have as much to do. So the naturalism of their own body language uh, could be captured as it was and it, would, and it would work fine. I think the third key factor here is that editing played a large part in how those performances were shaped with the... Uh, secondary characters very much all through, but by the last film, what did change is that I did start to edit the central performance, the central voiceover, to try and sort of shape that a little bit more dramatically. 
And I think that that was for the best. I think that it tightened it up as opposed to just trying to get a, almost a theatrical purity to just keeping the unedited voiceover, which is how I started. That was fine, you know, as it went on. I mean, no, no one was protesting about that by the end or anything. So <laughs> everyone understood that this was a, evolving a style here and we were refining it at the end. Okay, last question, Mike. A lot of the artists we deal with on circuit, their work is quite site-specific or context-specific. I remember you once saying to me that you'd like to see your films play before something like Goodbye Pork Pie. Could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, that's interesting you remember that. I I don't, but um, (laughs) I kind of, I can see, I think I can sort of understand what I might have been getting at. I suppose there's two, two sort of obvious connections I'd make. Is one... Yeah, there is, there is that sort of cinema of unease aspect about uh, the films. I mean, they do deal in kind of an encounter between sort of individual psychology and sort of um, social expectations and social pressures. And that's, that's something you see right through that new wave New Zealand feature film from the late 70s onwards. And I think the special connection with Port Pie is just that that sort of larrikin element, which I kind of really kind of enjoyed in my youth, <laughs> and which is part of the the world of those films. I wouldn't exactly call it an underbelly um, of, of New Zealand society, but it touches on that. It touches on sort of elements of, of crime and, and, like you say, unexpected violence. The white underbelly in particular, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe maybe um, if someone wanted to make the case, you could say there's a sort of a gothic element to it too in that violence is just a sort of an accepted expectation in the backdrop um, part of this kind of worldview. Well, Mike, great to have these films on circuit and I'm glad we had this conversation with um, backdrops that very much echo the sets of your films. <laughs> yes, looking up into the corners of ceilings, yeah. <laughs> um, well, no, thank you very much, Mark, and um, I really appreciate Circuit's interest in these three films. It's great for them to have uh, a platform again and in the context of such a great endeavour as Circuit. So thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. We'll see you soon. <laughs>